Zechariah 9, verse 9, let me read this to you. Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, about 500 years later, this verse was being fulfilled by Jesus Christ in the final days before he would be rejected by the people of Israel, beaten, tortured, and crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, it's written in about 550, 570 B.C., and then 500 years later, uh, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Our text this evening is going to be Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. If you have a Bible, you can read along as I read it aloud. It says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt, Tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, uh, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied uh, by the door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of them who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. And so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. There's really some very interesting stuff in this passage. It's a a great passage. First of all, we learn a lot about the proper way to do ministry as uh, followers of Christ, as Christians from this passage. There is a biblical way of ministering in the Lord and he has revealed it to us. And it's important that we understand God's heart and God's nature so that we can understand how to minister. We are to be Christ-like after all. And so the way that we do things is significant. But secondly, we see again, as we see so often in the Bible, that the fundamental principle of the Christian life is that the Christian life is meant to produce discipleship. That's God's intention in transforming us day by day, that we grow and go and glorify Him as individuals. Not that we stand still, spiritually speaking, with our Christianity just being a label on our lives. Uh, Christianity is not meant to be a cultural thing. It's not what God really intends. It's not meant to just be an adjective or a label. Christianity in God's mind means action. It means discipleship, following, going. The Lord plans for our lives to be fruitful and progressive. That's what we see when we encounter the scriptures. And we get to see a little bit of how that works here in our text this evening. And so let's go back to verse 1. And there we read this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have just come from Jericho where the Lord miraculously healed blind Bartimaeus. We took a look at that on Sunday, if you were able to join us. And now he's about to enter into Jerusalem as Messiah, fulfilling that 500-year-old prophecy God had made to his people in Zechariah. But before he got to the town, he stopped on the road and he pulls aside a couple of his guys. It says that he sent two of his disciples. Now, in Strong's Concordance, if you look that up, you find that the word used there is a combination of a couple of words, a couple of terms which mean to set apart and then to send out. And so Jesus stopped, he looked at his disciples, he, took, he looked at two of them, he set them apart, and then he sent them out. Uh, Jesus Christ is in the business of sending, and this is a model that we can see 
throughout the Bible and that we can apply to our lives as Christians. Let me read you a couple passages that illustrate the point that Jesus is in the business of sending people. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. I also send you Luke 10 two. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, or how about this one? Matthew ten sixteen. behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Jesus sends people like you and me to go out and accomplish his will. That's the deal. That's his plan. It's an interesting one uh, when we really start thinking about it. Now, can God use other parts of creation in order to accomplish his will? We see from the scriptures that he uses human beings like you and me, his followers, to accomplish his will. So can he use other parts of creation to accomplish his will? Well, of course he can. Absolutely. Even in the Bible, we see God using angels. We see him using animals even at times. You know, God can do whatever he wants and he can use uh, all of creation and whatever else he desires in order to accomplish his will. However, his focus on the earth and his focus in history and his spreading of the gospel is done through you and me. That's the plan. uh, And that's the way that he wants to do it. You and me, person to person, his body on the earth. And to that end, God sets apart specific people to go and do specific work. Um, it, It is kind of, you know, simple and sort of basic, but it's something that we need to remember. Just like in the workplace or, you know, if those of you who work, just like in the workplace, there are specific people who do specific tasks or more often there are specific people who are supposed to do specific tasks but end up playing online Scrabble all day. But we understand this. It's a very basic thing, but we can't forget it when it comes to the Christian life because much more so God looks down on the earth and he determines to accomplish his will through human beings, through his people. And he looks at his disciples, the group of them, and he says, okay, I have something that I need done. You and you, you're the ones that are going to do this right now. And, uh, and it's important. That's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing that God uses specific people to do specific works because that means that you and I have uh, special callings placed on our lives by God himself. Special callings with specific purpose to go to a specific people at a specific time. Very exciting and just invigorating to understand that we're on call and inactive duty in that uh, capacity for the Lord. Now our text here doesn't say which two disciples Jesus selected for this important task. Uh, But what he actually asked them to do is pretty fun if we put ourselves uh, in the mindset. Let's look at verse 2. Jesus said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. Uh, Jesus? Uh, Did you just ask us to commit grand theft auto? Because that's what it seems like you're asking us to do. Uh, Understand what's happening here, okay? Uh, They're on their way to enter Jerusalem. It's an incredibly important event the triumphal entry. Perhaps they didn't understand the, what the scope of the triumphal entry is, but you know, for 500 years plus, the, the people of Israel had been waiting for their Messiah, and they knew, they knew their Messiah was going to enter into Jerusalem on a colt that had never been ridden on, and Zechariah, the great prophet, had been prophesying, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. It's this great you know, monumental event, and they're on their way to Jerusalem, and that very event is about to happen. And they're in between towns there. They had come from Jericho and they're heading into Jerusalem. And Jesus stops on the road near the Mount of Olives and he pulls two guys aside 
And essentially he says, go over to this little village over here. So go over to this little neighborhood over here. And as soon as you get there, you're going to see a Chevy Silverado in the parking lot. Get in it and drive it over to me. Uh, you know, that's sort of an updated version, you know. It's not exactly the message, but it's sort of an updated version of, you know, what would happen in contemporary language. But really, this is quite a mission. You know, we're, it's kind of funny. We're laughing about it, but this is... This is kind of weird. If we're being just completely honest and completely frank, what Jesus is asking them to do. And uh, it's interesting stuff. I mean, what would you do if God asked you to do something like this? Uh, Interesting. Now, the first thing I would say, I know this, is that the first thing I would say is, hey, Jesus, how about you come with us and how about you untie the colt? You know, and if somebody hassles you, how about you melt them? I'll, I'll come with you and everything, you know. I'm there to back you up and everything, and I'm down, but I want you to come with me, and I want you to do this. You head over there and grab that donkey that doesn't belong to us. I think that's a better plan. Uh, What we see here demonstrated for us is that our ministry is about faith, and it's about walking in faith. Because we, here on the earth, in the age of grace, the church age, We live without the physical presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think, you know, it's easy to say that we have a tendency to envy these guys who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and got to spend time with him, you know, face to face. Uh, However, you know, they would be envious of us to understand that the third person of the Trinity indwells us constantly. They didn't have that while they were walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus. You know, it's so... You know, I think both groups would kind of envy the other. And so um, we now live here on the earth without the physical presence of Jesus Christ with us. His spirit is with us. His word is with us. But Jesus Christ is in heaven and he's preparing a place for you and for me as we speak. Now, in the meantime, he's not done with the earth. He's not, you know, resting, as it were. I mean, he's busy. He's, he's doing lots of things all over the earth. He still calls out person by person to accomplish his will through various situations and circumstances. So the Lord still has tasks for us and still has much that he wants to accomplish in his will, just like he was doing here, where he looked at his disciples and he says, I have some work that I need you guys to do. Here's who's going to do it, you and you. Here's what you're going to do. And that continues today. Um, the Lord is in the business of saving souls. He's in the business of glorifying himself and, and furthering his will all over the earth. And so this is a good picture for us because Jesus sent them out to the village without himself, as it were. He said, I'm going to wait back here. You're going to go. You're going to go and do this on my behalf. What that means to us on a practical level is that the Christian life has to, has to, has to be lived by faith. Um, to me, just as an aside, I don't want to get off into a huge tangent here, but this is one of the things that's so sad to me, uh, and hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but this is what's so sad to me about um, Christian traditions or groups that are what we would say cessationists, saying that the Holy Spirit has stopped certain amounts of his gifts, or especially um, uh, super conservative legalistic you know, groups or denominations who don't practically have the belief in the Holy Spirit's daily filling and guiding of you. I mean, that's so sad to me because, 
as we look in the scriptures, we see all the things that the Lord desires happen in our lives and all the things he wants to do in and through our lives. And if we don't have the spirit doing that in and through us every day, then we're just in trouble. And uh, we're just going to be, you know, it's just hard to feel like you're not left by yourself. And so, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's on a personal level, just a little bit sad when when groups are cessationist and say, well, the Holy Spirit's just kind of done doing that stuff. Okay, well, then what are we going to do? Because Jesus isn't here. He's not going with me to untie this colt. I have these things that he wants me to accomplish, so the Spirit's not really helping me. He's securing my salvation, but he's not really doing anything else. And Jesus is in heaven, so I'm kind of just out here, you know, without, you know, without a safety net, as it were. And, and I think that's a little bit sad. The Christian life is meant to be lived by faith, and that's every day. Every day. Now, of course, we know that we're saved by grace through faith. That's not the kind of great faith I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the daily living uh, in the Spirit and taking what we call steps of faith in our discipleship, in our following the Lord. Um, a great picture of this is Jesus is walking on the water. He approaches the boat. Everybody gets freaked out. And, and then there's that wonderful scene where Jesus says... You want to come out here and come out here. And Peter takes the quintessential step of faith and steps out onto the water and says, it doesn't matter what's going on because that's my Lord. And if he says I can come out here, then I can come out. And Peter uh, walks on water there. And so living the Christian life means taking steps of faith in discipleship where we're stepping out in ministry. We're stepping out in witness to see what God will do through us. Now, what we don't do is is step out without any kind of guidance and without any kind of direction. I'm not advocating a reckless type of Christianity where we just do all manner of crazy and, and irresponsible things and then label them as steps of faith. Why did you do that? Oh, I was just stepping out in faith. Well, did you have guidance? You know, did you have a calling on your life to do that? Did you feel like the Lord actually asked you, I'm just trying stuff. I'm just trying things. Okay, well, that's recklessness. The Bible doesn't call us to recklessness. It calls us to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, faith in a, a fixed person who has revealed himself to us. Not wild, blind, you know, flailing around, seeing if stuff works, but saying, I know who my Lord is, I know what he wants for my life, and here's what he said to me, and so I'm going to step out in faith, believing that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. And so we're not advocating reckless Christianity or reckless, you know, uh, uh, you know craziness, but but really... Stepping out in faith. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we generally are a more reserved, more conservative group of people. That's not a bad thing. Uh, people are made differently by God. Um, this is an important thing to remember. There are different groups and there are different styles within the church. And that's not a bad thing. Not every church should be exactly the same. Not every church should teach the same you know, exact sermon every Sunday and, and sing the exact same songs every Sunday in the same way. It's okay that there is variety. You know, when God made the Garden of Eden, he didn't make one type of tree. He made an incredible variety of trees, an incredible variety of animals. And, and the same goes today. Some people are what we would call more emotional and some people are less emotional. And that has an impact on our spiritual worship as well. And so, you know, uh, it's not bad that we generally are a more reserved or a more conservative type of people. Uh, 
However, many of us, I would think, I would say, are conditioned by family or culture or tradition to have a better safe than sorry mentality and to be um, reserved even when it comes to discipleship and even when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. And this is a dangerous place to be because it's very easy to move into a mindset and a lifestyle that is more described by the statement, well, seeing is believing. When I see it, then, then that's fine. You know, when it's already done, then I'll do it, is kind of the sense of, of, of that idea. Um, Thomas, I'm not knocking Thomas, but he's an example of this. He said, okay, well, I don't really believe you guys that you're seeing Jesus. Once I've seen him in front of me and touched his hands and his scars, then I'll believe. Well, of course you'll believe because you saw him. You know what I mean? You don't have to believe if you see it right in front of you. If I, was, if I said, you know... Uh, I don't know, uh, Billy Graham or Franklin Graham was going to come here tonight. Do you guys believe? Well, we'll believe once he's here. Well, you don't have to believe. That's the whole point. Do we have faith or not? And so it's easy for Christians, especially those who are a little bit uh, more conservative or reserved, which aren't bad things, but it's easy for us to slip into a mindset of when I see it, I'll believe it. And when it's already here, then I'll step forward. When the water turns to ice, then I'll step out of the boat and walk on the water because then I'll believe that I can walk on it. And um, we need to internalize the fact that as Christians, we are called by God to walk by faith and not by sight. That's what the Word says. And we need to deal with that on an individual level with the Lord. Lord, what does that mean? Where should I be stepping out in faith? Where would you like me to, to try a door or to try an avenue? Well, how can I, you know, uh, push myself in my service to you, in my worship of you? Not for a feeling and not for just a physical experience, but Lord, how can I walk by faith more for you? I want to walk by faith, not by sight, because that's what I'm commanded to do. Giving the helm of our lives really over to the Lord. Because the Lord has a different direction for us. He has a different destination for us. He has a different propulsion for us. Uh, than we would have on our own. And that's the truth. A different uh, uh, way of life. He has a different everything for us. You know, that doesn't even mean that all of us are you know, born as these you know, crazy sinners and did all these things. That's not what I'm talking about. You talk to just about every Christian that's out there and who's been a Christian for any amount of time, and they'll either say, well, I thought my life was going to go this way, and the Lord transformed me and turned me around 180 degrees. Even Christians that are grown in the church and, and raised up in the faith, they, you know, many, so many of them will say, yeah, I thought I was going to be this with my life, or I thought I was going to go do this, and the Lord just had a different plan. And that's the idea. The Lord has a different des- direction, He has a different destination, He has a different propulsion for us than we might think. Therefore, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. It, it, the Christian life requires that we walk in trust of the Lord, trusting Him even when we don't fully understand His plan or even sometimes when we think, this, this isn't going to work. But if the Lord says to us, I want you to do this, then we have to do it. Jesus wasn't going to go with these two guys over to the village. He was calling them to go out and do something on His behalf by faith and that is what we are called to do in this church age. Uh, but like I said, they weren't diving into this thing blind, okay? It wasn't reckless. They had, uh, they had specific instruction. Here's how it worked. They had a place to go. They had a task to perform. They had a goal to focus on. 
That's what we see in this verse. He said, you're going to go to this village. You're going to see this cult in this place. This is what you're going to do. And then you're going to return it to me. They had a place to go, a task to perform, a goal to focus on. And this is the way that we need to, indi- uh, we need to minister, not only as individuals, but as a church as well. Because out there in the field of uh, God's kingdom, out there in the mission field, you know, everywhere in the world, there are a lot of perhaps well-meaning Christians that aren't really following the Lord's instructions. They're kind of walking a little bit recklessly, like we've talked about. They don't really have real direction and real calling. Perhaps the Lord has given them real calling, but they're kind of going another way. You know, this is made very real in the book of Acts. You know, Paul, who, you know, is such an example to us. Paul says, I wanted to go here and the Spirit said no. I wanted to go here and the Spirit said no. Now we look and we say, oh, the Macedonian call and how wonderful that was. But Paul's saying, yeah, I was trying to go over here and the Spirit said no. Well, a lot of times what happens in our life is we think, Lord, I want to go over to here and do this. And perhaps the Spirit says, no, I haven't called you to that. But a lot of times we go anyway. And that's reckless because we're not going with the specific instruction and the specific direction of God, I love the old saying, I don't know who first said it, but it's great. There were some that were sent and some that just went. And uh, that's, that's something we need to check in our hearts, you know, as we seek to serve the Lord and as we seek to reach out and as we're walking by faith, we need to see, have I been sent or did I just went? You know, and uh, it's an important thing. The model we see here in this text, the model we see throughout the Bible is that God sets apart specific people with specific gifts and specific callings. If they are willing, he then sends them to a specific place with a vision and an equipping to accomplish the work that he has set out for them to do. That's what we see modeled in the Bible. Now, as Christians, we don't have everything always spelled out for us perfectly. But when we're ministering, we should have a target place, a target task, a target goal. Uh, if we don't have those things, we're, we probably need to spend some time on our knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because the Lord doesn't typically in the Bible just say, mm, just, just do whatever, you know. I've transformed your life and I have a plan, but just go wherever and do whatever and say whatever. No, what we see when God calls people out to do, to accomplish his will is that he says, oh, I have a place for you, I have a task for you, I have a goal for you. And um, that's important. Lots of times people in the church especially will be convinced that they are cut out to a specific ministry. They're just, they get convinced. They're cut out to teach. They're cut out to lead. They're cut out to whatever, any specific ministry. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, the church needs teachers. It needs leaders. It needs people in every facet of ministry. Um, God does set apart people to do that. Uh, however, sometimes people get convinced that they should be a teacher or, or, or be a leader, despite the fact that the Lord has not given them that specific calling. And so, you know, one of the fundamental questions that we need to be asking God as we move forward in our lives is, Lord, what have you called me to do? If we don't know what the Lord has called us to do on any level, generally, specifically, you know, if we just think, well, I don't know what the Lord's called me to do at all, the Lord wants to show us that. He does, because he says, yeah, I formed you and have transformed you so that you could fill a specific goal. He has a very specific, very special plan for your life and for your discipleship. And his desire is to reveal that plan to you. Uh, But we need to wait for his leading. 
so that we go to the village that he wants where the donkey that's been waiting for him for 500 years is, is there. You know, you don't get to just, well, I, I just, I don't want to wait. I'm just going to go to whatever village and hopefully I find a donkey. Will this work? No, that's not going to work. That's a horse. That's not a donkey. You know, we need to fulfill this prophecy the right way. And so we need to wait for the Lord to reveal his plan to us. We need to wait for his leading. We have to wait for the time uh, when he sets us apart and reveals his plan to us. As we step out, we see more of that plan unfolding. Once we receive that call, we say, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. And then we go. And as we go, we see more of that unfolding as we receive God's word and we receive the inspiration of his spirit and the direction of his spirit. As we receive more clarity from God, that's the deal. Don't be reckless in ministry. Wait for the Lord to call you out and give you a specific task, to give you a specific place, to give you a goal that he has in mind. Because if we don't have those things, if we don't really have a calling, if we don't really have a goal, if we don't really have a task, then we can potentially do a lot of damage spiritually to ourselves and to those around us. Verse 3, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, well, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. This is such an encouraging verse to me because it shows that, number one, God does groundwork for us. You know, we're not out here by ourselves. The Lord is doing groundwork for you. Yes, God is going to send you somewhere. He is. He's going to send you maybe across the world, maybe across the country, maybe across your lawn. But the Lord is going to send you somewhere. Some are going to be sent near, some are going to be sent far. That's exciting. All of us are going to be given missions and tasks to accomplish. But wherever He's going to send us, He is already there, right now, doing His work, laying the groundwork by the power of His Spirit and preparing that situation. We come in then as we are willing and as he calls us out and we partner with that work that he's already doing. That's so encouraging. It's a wonderful thing. This life of partnership with the Lord. He is preparing hearts. We work in the harvest. He opening doors. We walking through those doors. We delivering the message. He giving power to the message. That's the partnership in this this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. God always goes before us and with us in strength and power wherever he sends us. And on top of that, he is a God of promises. Wherever God sends you, he's going to give you promises. Now, some of those promises have already been made in the word, and others of those promises are going to be revealed to you as God calls you out in a specific capacity to a specific time and place and people. Um, But as you set out in your venture of faith, be it small or large, you always go with God's promises, always. Uh, on a very fundamental level, you know, every one of us wakes up each day and goes with the promise of God that He is with us, He will not leave us, and we have nothing to fear. That's a promise that God makes to each and every one of us as we are going, making disciples and following the Lord. Beyond that, the Lord says, okay, I have a specific work for you, and I am going to speak to you about what I am going to do. Do you trust me? Take that step out and let's see this thing unfold. Now, this particular mission that these two guys were being sent on was potentially very difficult and even socially embarrassing in one sense. Honestly, if we, if we put ourselves in their sandals, this isn't exactly an easy assignment. Um, it's, uh, I think it's a text that I've kind of glossed over a lot. Oh, it's really cool. They got the cult. They needed the cult to fulfill this prophecy. But you know, if he's asking me to go and take somebody's cult who I don't know, it's not super easy. But as we see here, God's commands are his enabling, and that's a principle that applies all the time. 
And here he shows that even when God asks us to do something difficult or asks us to do something unusual or something that we might be uncomfortable with, he has given us the ability and the equipping to do it. He knows what he's doing and our part is to trust him. He's not asking them to do this just for the sake of doing it. He's not asking them to do something wrong. He's asking them to do something unusual, yes, potentially uncomfortable, yes. But he's given them equipping and he's given them a reason and he knows what he's doing. And the same is true for our life. If we receive God's calling, even if it's something difficult or even if it's something that, in, in all honesty, we might feel uncomfortable with on some human level, now the Lord is with us. And the Lord says, you can have confidence in what I've asked you to do. One of the best encouragements I can give each of us this evening is that we shouldn't be afraid of what God wants to do in our lives. We should never be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord means to be afraid of disappointing Him because of how much He loves us and wants to do for us and the, the, the life that He wants to bring to us. And I think, you know, I know I sometimes get that way, you know, for whatever reason, we just start thinking that if I really give God control of my life, man, He's just going to jerk me around. He's just going to mess things up. He's going to do weird stuff. And we should never be afraid of the Lord. He's never given us a reason to be afraid of Him. Instead, Jesus is there thinking, no, 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 if you give me control of your life, I'm going to accomplish rad things in there. Uh, I'm going to do incredible, I'm going to make you a part of what I'm doing on the earth. I'm going to give you eternal value in your actions and in what you're doing. Now, if the disciples were stopped, they were to give a reason for what they were doing. Uh, a lot of times, if you're at a street fair or a farmer's market, especially in larger cities, it doesn't happen a lot here, but um, I've been to the farmer's market in San Luis Obispo a few times, and every time um, there are, are, are folks there with big signs um, preaching to people, um, typically more negative things. Now, uh, I'm not going to say that those individuals shouldn't be there doing that or that they haven't been sent by the Lord. I don't know. You know, you read the prophets, those guys didn't have easy messages, okay? So we're not writing those people off. However, oftentimes, if you stand and watch those sorts of street preachers, not all of them, but oftentimes, you, if you stand there and watch them for a few minutes, you'll see that they completely ignore anyone who comes up to talk to them. Uh, they, they won't make eye contact, they just shout over them. Even if people aren't being antagonistic, if they just come up to talk to them, oftentimes you just see them ignoring them and moving past them and not making eye contact, anything like that. And that's not how you do ministry. It's not how we do ministry. We never see that modeled in the Bible. We never see that uh, encouraged in the Bible. When God calls us to go out and accomplish His will, be it small or be it great, our uh, we should be open to share what he said and what he's doing in our lives. And if somebody asks us about it, our responsibility is to say, let me tell you what's happening right now. Because there's a God who loves you and wants to save you from your sin. The whole point of the gospel is that we share it person to person. Uh, so when we're out there living life, being faithful to the tasks God has set before us, we need to be willing and ready to share what God has said, with, uh, said to us with others. I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And so we need to share what God has done with others, repeating back to them the message that we received from the Lord. That's basic humility, that's basic servanthood, that's a basic level that we're called to as Christians. Verse 4, so they went their way, they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and so they loosed it. Uh, I've been thinking a lot for some reason about this little phrase, you know, their way or on your way when we encounter it in the Bible, especially in the Gospels. Uh, it's an interesting idea to me. It says they went their way. 
Their way was the way that Jesus had pointed out for them. Um, it illustrates the fact that we have choice in what we do in our lives. We choose what we're going to do. In Mark 10, when Jesus healed Bartimaeus, he said to him, go your way. And then he had the option to do whatever he wanted to do. Of course, Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the road and witnessed these things unfold. Uh, we see that phrase, go your way, when Jesus healed the ten lepers and one returned. Uh, same thing with the rich young ruler. He went his way and he was sorrowful for he had many possessions. Uh, same as a passage we've actually already referenced tonight, Luke 10.3. It says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And so the question is, which way am I going? Where am I going right now? What way am I on? Life is all about choosing which way you will go. Choosing this day whom you will serve. You can choose to serve God or you can choose to serve mammon. You can't choose to serve both. Uh, you can choose to follow after Jesus or you can choose to go away sorrowful like the rich young ruler, unwilling to take on the Christian life. That's up to you. That's up to me. That's up to us. We choose. We've received options. You know, the Lord gives us a free will. Even as Christians, even though he blood bought us and has transformed us and put his spirit within us, we still have options. And now we choose which way we're going to go. These two disciples had committed themselves to their Messiah and their way was wherever Jesus told them to go. Well, that's, that's my way. That's where I'm going. Have we allowed God to send us? Do we see our lives as a mission to glorify Him and to share His salvation? What way are we headed in life? Those are questions that we need to pose to ourselves uh, before the Lord as individuals. These disciples not only went in the way Jesus had directed them, but then they did exactly what he said to do. They followed his instructions obediently. Um, the way we do things as Christians, the way we do things as a church, it matters. It definitely matters. Uh, methods can change. The message cannot. Methods can change. They need to change, in fact, to stay contemporary and effective in different times and places. But the way that we do ministry and the way we live out our discipleship absolutely matters. Because Jesus Christ gives us instructions on how we should do things, and our part is then to actually do them obediently. The end does not justify the means ever in the Christian life. And so how are we doing ministry as a church or as an individual? How are we obeying God? Is it fully? Is it partially? Is it, you know, when I need to or when I don't need to? Are our methods of ministry biblical? If so, great. We need to keep them fresh and we need to keep them engaging for the time and the place and the uh, community that we find ourselves in. If our methods are not biblical, it's time to go back to the instructions Jesus has given us in his word um, and obey them diligently. Verse 5 some of those who stood there said to them, uh, what are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. I'm always glad to know that God doesn't want to leave us hanging, you know. God sends us out and he doesn't leave you hanging out there. He puts a calling on our lives and he brings us opportunities day by day because he wants to actually accomplish things on the earth. He actually wants to do things in our community, in your life, in your family, in your workplace. He does. He wants fruit for us. He wants harvest. That's the business that he's in. And so when he says he's going to do something and then asks us to be a part of it, we can be confident that it's actually going to happen. Okay, I have nothing to fear because I know he wants to do this. It's not a prank that God is pulling on us. God's not in the punked business. He's in the harvest business. These other guys in the street... Asked the disciples what they were doing. We don't know if these guys were the owners of the donkey or if they were employees of the owners, or if they weren't. We don't know. 
Uh, we don't know if they were angry when they asked these guys what they were doing. We don't. I think it's easy to read just sort of cynicism or, or anger, maybe a little bit into there and say, oh, these guys are so mad. What are you doing? But we don't know. We shouldn't read that stuff into the text. I'm inclined to think that they weren't angry because what happened? They let, they let them go. And we knew that God has already been doing groundwork in that situation. We knew he had already prepared the master. And so when these guys showed up, I have a sneaking suspicion that they said, okay, okay, these are the two guys we've been waiting for. We've been standing here for a long time watching people come into the road. And these are the guys. Maybe not, maybe so. I mean, if we're going to speculate, let's speculate positively, not negatively. Uh, At any rate, these fellows questioned the disciples who then spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. And because they obeyed the Lord, because they were following in the Spirit, things happened the way they should happen. And there weren't any hang-ups. As you're living the Christian life, people are going to question you. Sometimes they're going to question you as friends and sometimes they're going to question you as enemies. That's just the deal. Um, but they are going to question you. You know, even when a Christian is backsliding or even when a Christian is trying to hide out in the world like Peter was around the fire the night before the the crucifixion, people still question Christians. Why? Because you're a child of God. You have the light of the world shining through your life. And so even if you're trying to hide it under a bushel, you can't keep that light from shining in the darkness on some level. You know, the darkness is still going to look at you and say, oh, you're not like me. I'm going to question you about this. I want to know what, what's up with you. And so people are going to question you as you live out your discipleship. They're going to want to know what you're all about. And so when we are asked for advice, when we're asked for counsel, when we're being questioned about our faith or about our God, when we're in these conversations, we need to say what Jesus said. That's the answer. We need to deliver his word to them as he's given it to us because his word has power. The Word of God is living and and it discerns between the soul and the spirit. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. His Word is life. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Not by sleight of hand, not by, you know, debate. It comes by the Word of God which has been delivered to us. So know the Word, share the Word, repeat it back to people around you. Not like a zombie, you're not a teleprompter, but repeat back the Word of God personally and faithfully as it has been delivered to you. Because the Bible is where we find truth, and that's what people need. People need truth, they don't need opinion. If they need an opinion, they need God's opinion on the matter. And so deliver the Word as it's been given to you. Verse 7, Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Uh, These disciples were determined not just to do what Jesus asked them to do, but to glorify him as they did it. They were determined to lift him up and to lift him high, that he would increase and they would decrease. And what a wonderful thing it must have been as they walked back to that place where the Lord is waiting, leading the donkey with them, that would fulfill this centuries-old prophecy. And what a great joy must have been felt as they came into view of their master. And all the other disciples were there, And Jesus said to them, well done, let's do this. Let's go into Jerusalem and do what we're supposed to do. This is ministry. This is what your Christian life is meant to be. And so as disciples, we're called upon to send and to be sent. At different times, we are the ones that are sent to minister to others whether they be near or far. far. It could be your neighbors next door. It could be your neighbors, the Samaritan on the side of the road. Uh, We are sent by God. We should be stepping out in faith to see where the Lord might send us. 
don't cross the street when you see the proverbial Samaritan on the side of the road. That's an opportunity where God says, you can show love to this person that I've brought before you as the Spirit directs you and guides you and brings you those appointments. And we have the choice to either engage in that moment or to cross the street and say, not really my problem. Someone else will take this opportunity. We need to walk by the Spirit and the Spirit brings us opportunities to do His work. We should be faithful in small tasks that God has given us in the family and in the church. We should expect the Lord to call upon us to go out and minister because that's what discipleship is all about, being fishers of men. Not just being Christians by label, but being Christian by action, by doing what Jesus did and saying what He said, by being filled with His power and and His Spirit, by taking up our cross and following Him sacrificially. His Spirit then directing us throughout our walk of faith. But if we're in a time where we're not being sent, then we need to be open to sending to the Lord. There's a great study just on the owner of the donkey. We don't know all the things that the Lord was doing in his life, but the Lord was working in his life, preparing him for the moment where he had the opportunity to send and say, that's yours, Lord. I will send this donkey on your behalf so that you can be glorified. Uh, Our resources are valuable to God, not because he is poor, but because he takes them and invests them in eternity. Whether it's small things or great things, God looks at our lives and says, yeah, I can use you. I can use your donkey. I can use a widow's might. I can use great riches. I can use anything that you're willing to, to uh, surrender to me and I will invest it eternally for you. I can use it all if you're willing to partner with me in this work. If we're not being sent during this particular season of life, the question is, are we sending? Have we relinquished our lives to the discretion of the Messiah who has much he wants to accomplish all over the earth and can use any of our resources to do it? Are we sending? The graciousness of our God is that He is willing to use us in our lives on every level as we surrender to Him. As we close, I I just like this. Pastor John Corson points out that Jesus loves to borrow things. He loves to borrow things. He borrowed a manger. He borrowed a boat. He borrowed a Roman coin. He borrowed an upper room. He borrowed a tomb. He borrowed a donkey. Jesus loved to borrow things. And he borrowed all of those things because his desire is to partner with people. His desire is to partner with us in his kingdom. To share with us the richness of his eternal glory. To give us real abundance and satisfaction in our souls. That's why he partners with us. It's not because he needed a donkey. It's because he says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you guys to be a part of me accomplishing this centuries old prophecy. I want it for you. That is the offer that we've been made as Christians. That even the smallest, seemingly insignificant aspect of our lives might be transformed to have eternal weight and value. A tiny shoebox used to save the soul of a small child in the third world. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to trust the Lord to respond to His calling, to send of ourselves for His ministry, and then to be sent to share what God has done and and what He desires to do as we accomplish His will partnering with him but that's up to us Um, I'm just fond right now of reminding myself that the Christian life does not happen on its own Uh, the Christian life doesn't happen by itself it's time for us to step forward and to take on the yoke of his discipleship God's yoke is easy his burden is light he will transform what we might see as meager into something beautiful and powerful and eternal 
But the time for decision is right now, and the time for our abandon to Him is this evening. Let's pray, and the worship team is going to come back up.